Murray, I always wanted to meet one of these people. Honestly, I did. This, these people, an alchemist that can turn ordinary stuff into gold. You know that the can and a grominist. Can you say it? I can you. I'm not joking. <laughs> See, the reason Justin's doing this, folks, I'm just going to put value in on this, is because I can't say the word. Now, Justin had at least said that he was going to keep me going about this the whole way, but I just can't say it. So Grace, being full of grace, turned around and said, don't say that word. I'm a crop walker. And so we're joined. <laughs> a crop walker? What's a crop walker? Grace, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Marty? Justin, I'm things? Pretty good. Pretty good. Oh, now, we're finally here. What is it you do for a living? Yeah, so I suppose the, the fancy term is agronomist, but like what I call it and what my friends would call it is I'm a crop walker. So I suppose go back to the start. I'm a farmer's daughter, first of all. <laughs> and I um, went to UCD, studied ag science, specialised in crops, um, left college, got a job walking crops. And I'm at that for <laughs> five years now. So I so said, you're looking at, you're looking at crops, you're looking at how they're, they're coping with stress, varieties, um, yields, soil, you name it. Like you could be sitting at the table with a farmer and you could be giving them advice on a divorce. You never know what you're going to end up talking about. <laughs> now, you work down in Waterford and the whole premise of the whole scheme from start to finish is terroir this yeah. idea that a crop or the crop growing there for the grape or whatever it happens to be is imbued by the area the the, the topography or the the, the 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 lay of the land the type of soil the wind of some give us an explanation of what terroir is yeah, well, I suppose I'll start with what it, it isn't. Uh, it's, it's not our distilling style. It's not that we have two fields out the back of the distillery and we're, we're growing, um, you know, a couple of barrels, let's say, of whiskey. This is at a big scale. You know, we're, we're working with over a hundred, like just under a hundred growers now. And I suppose each farm brings in 120 tonnes of barley every harvest and we use about 40 annually. So... The whole process is, I suppose, circled around traceability and everything is kept separate. So we keep farmer brown separate to farmer yellow and it's separate through the whole process from it's grown, harvested, stored, malted, distilled, the whole way it's kept in its individual batch. And then we bring it here to the distillery and just over a week we can distill that batch and then it's put into its own barrels and it's stored in its farm. Okay. Okay. Is, is that like having a double fence in a field so that the cows can't kiss? That sort of way. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> it's not a it's not a cheap game. Um, I suppose when you, you look at one part of our process, and I suppose it's the part that maybe farmers find intriguing, our store for the barley. It's a flat store, like just a big shed, and it holds about eight and a half thousand tons of barley if you are doing it normally. Now, we have it divided up into sections with precast slabs, and this keeps 120 tonnes separate, and we only use, like, it only can hold 2,500 tonnes for us. So it's, when you bring a farmer in there, like, this is a shocking waste, lads. Like, but this is, <laughs> this is the extent we're going to, to keep everything separate and traceable, and it's not about 
diluting one farm with another. It's about expressing that micro location and bringing it alive into flavor. Okay. Now, what we're used to this term in grapes, okay? Is there much difference between a grape and a cereal? Like a cereal, uh, between a grape and barley? Um, there would be there would be a huge difference. Like it's it's a fruit, whereas um, a cereal is comes from a grass plant. But the fundamentals of it isn't that far away from what we're doing here. Um, I suppose you know we, we're working off the start in 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 the grain. Um, it wouldn't just be a huge pile. And I suppose what we're doing here is we're not trying to look for an homogenous um, barley. Like you know we're, we're not doing this on a, like a you know, everything has to be level. We're looking for the rarities. So I suppose, you know, anything that adds difference, whether it's our single farms, it's our organic batches, it's, you know, our heritage grains, it's all the little differences that make, you know, it, it's unique, I suppose. Yeah. How did Mark Rainier find you? How did he find somebody that's singing from the same hymn sheet as himself? Well, when I first met Mark, I was like, this guy is an absolute head the ball. Like, he's a complete dreamer, right? So I actually worked with the maltster we use here in the distillery. So I, I was an agronomist for them. I had my own area, and it was, what, they're buying 140,000 tonnes of barley a year, and it's going to the Giants, it's going to Diageo, you name it, and all the little distilleries like us. And I suppose I would have met Mark on projects, let's say, the first year we had a massive problem with proteins here in the distillery. Now, at the time I was with our molster and, uh, you know, I got talking to Mark and I suppose I realized, you know, what I'm seeing in the field, I've accepted that for the norm, right? But he could see how I could see the differences in the field is what he was after. But yeah. I was kind of in this, you know, farmer's daughter. This is the facts. This is the way it is. You know, it's not this fluffy idea of terror, but at the end of the day, it was like it dawned yeah. on me it was, you know, and finding growers at the start was difficult because they they were a bit wary of them. They're so used to going in at harvest, tipping their load of barley and it went off. Good luck. Never see you again. Get your check. But yeah. now they're they're delighted, you know, to receive a bottle like it's, it's the same as killing your own lamb. You know, you, you know, you reared it yourself. A tillage farmer never gets that opportunity like. And, and to be fair, farmers like free stuff. So if you arrive at a bottle of whiskey, you're going to go, yeah, thanks very much. Well, I tell you, I brought, I had two cases of whiskey to go to a guy today and he started complaining about price and I was like, oh, here, I'll take them back. <laughs> I bet he changed his chin. <laughs> oh, don't worry. <laughs> now, now you, you, there's different types of barley. You know, the, you, there's the different... Um, Right. Sort of different varieties, the, the, the ones that are sort of standard. Um, yeah. How have they, they've been bred basically to produce yield. That's essentially what has been happening for probably since, well, post Second World War, certainly. Um, so how are you getting differences? How do you see the differences? Or is there different cereal, different types of barley that you're using? Or what way does that work? Yeah, so unfortunately, yeah, barley is bred. The varieties are bred for yield and it's bred for its resistance, its standing ability. It's kind of built for its field characteristics. And back in the day before Watford Distillery, that was what I was striving for all the time because it made my job a lot easier. 
but now I can see how you know it, it's not that ideal like it should go further than that it should go down the line of you know the flavors it'll bring to beer the flavor it'll bring to spirits um, it, like what we're seeing, and I suppose you've probably followed us, we we done a study on terroir. Like we, there's no scientific proof that terroir exists in the wine world or the spirit world. And which it's high, it's just accepted in France. It's just accepted in the wine world that, you know, this is the thing. But for us, it's kind of, it's it's shunned a little bit for obvious reasons. Like the yeah. big giants don't want to, you know, they don't they don't want to hear us. We're, we're a thorn in their foot. But... <laughs> Um, what we've seen when we've done the study is that all these varieties are very closely related. They're like kissing cousins, basically. And, you know, they're bred in a way, you know, to concentrate the good genes down to filter down to these conventional varieties. And what we're seeing is that it's how the variety itself interacts with uh-huh. the environment. Yeah. So, it, it that's having more of an effect than the variety. The varieties nearly are gone flavor neutral at this stage because they've been bred such a way. When we bring in a heritage variety, so a heritage grain that's maybe um, was grown maybe the late 1800s, you know, early 1900s, that's when we see it going off the chart that bit more because it's different genetics. Yeah. So you can actually, uh, although you say there's no proof, you can actually see this in the laboratory, there is a difference then. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, massively. Like, I'm sure you have heard of Golden Promise and all those kind of famous varieties back in the day. Like, the, I, like I can taste it. Like, I, I genuinely can. Like, you, you can bring, like, I brought my dad down to the distillery and he's, he's, a, he's a drinker. He's not, a, uh, you know, into whiskey as such. But, like, he was kind of, he's a farmer. He was kind of, mm, don't know about this idea. <laughs> but, like... He could taste it, and he actually remembers growing some of the heritage varieties years ago at home. Like, and I'm close to the border there. It's not barley country, but uh, I suppose a funny story was I uh, was at home one night, and a neighbour came in, and he's a cattle dealer, right? And he was asking me, "Oh, what are you doing these days?" And I was telling him about the distillery and how it's barley forward, and you name it. And he said, "Geez, I remember years ago you'd open a pint bottle of harp, and you'd smell the barley off the bottle." And like, this is going back maybe in the seventies, but like, I feel like my age group don't have that connection with the raw ingredient. They don't even know, you yeah. know, barley is being used. So I suppose the fact that we're barley forward brings that, you know, you can taste the barley off our spirit, really. J- Justin will remember that. He's, he's about that age. Justin's back at that time. Listen, there, there are, it doesn't surprise me there are people that don't know that farmers make food. There are people that don't know that. No. Yeah. yeah. I know there's people that don't know that. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just, I, I, but anyway, uh, now, whenever you say, you say standard normally for farmers is they want to have high starch in the grain. That's basically what they were looking for. They, they convert over to, to alcohol, to beer, and that kind of stuff. Up yield. So if you're not if you're not testing for that, what are you checking for? What the, what do you check for in the green? So the, the the big thing come harvest, I suppose that you know farmers fear is protein. That is kind of the deciding factor whether it's going to make the cut for distilling, make the cut for brewing, or it's going to end up in the feed pile. And what happens is the protein surrounds the starch molecule and it makes it unavailable to us through our process and is a pain 
through the process because it bungs up filters, you name it. So I suppose where that relates back to the field is when the farmer goes out and spreads nitrogen, the relationship of protein and nitrogen goes like this in a graph. And the more nitrogen you put up, the more protein will increase and the more yield you'll have. So, yeah. so what we're, we're trying to tell farmers is to pull back on the nitrogen, give us a chance with the proteins and just find the right balance of yield. But it's a very hard balance to get. And I suppose that's kind of a big challenge for our growers. Yeah. Now, you must have had some convincing to do to get the farmers to take... I, I grew up in sort of farming country. I, I'm not a farmer, but in Palomina, everybody is either a farmer or related to farmers. He's a Tony. He's a Tony. He's I, a Tony. I, grew, I grew up more or less, and Palomina is farming town, right? Um, farmers don't change their minds very often. Once once they're set in their ways, it doesn't change very often. Uh, so how, how did you convince how did you convince farmers? That this is a way, a new way forward without booze. You weren't you weren't allowed to give them booze at this point. It was um it was tricky. Like I was at the table in 2015 when we picked the first 40 growers for water distillery, not knowing I would be involved at this stage. And I suppose what we noticed was them first 40 guys were the kind of reliable guys that got the proteins easier. Like they they had it, they had it down to a T. Whereas now we're seeing, you know. I have farmers ringing me every week saying, how do I get growing for you? And how, how do I get in? And they're, the age profile of our growers is, is going down because they're younger guys. They're more interested. They're online. They're seeing what we're doing. And yeah. I suppose they want to have a, a purpose beyond just delivering the grain and harvest. You know, it, it's, it's a nice thing to be able to say, there's my whiskey, like, you know? Yeah. And it was then when you see two farmers comparing their whiskey and kind of saying, well, mine's better than yours, though. <laughs> I, I always remember, farmers always suss each other, right, by how much land they have. They sort of look at each other, and if they don't know each other, they see them sizing each other up, and then they find out, oh, he's got an extra 40 acres on me. <laughs> no, but I, I know what you mean, Marty. Like, we have a growers gathering every year, and they come down to the distillery. It's normally after harvest, and they don't know, some of them know each other, and some of them don't. Like, you're talking from... Leash to Wexford Cork. We've a new guy from Ulster actually last year, and you know they don't know each other that well, and they're kind of you know well what are you doing and oh it's, it's all about the sussing out. <laughs> it is, it's, it is funny. Now, um, I keep seeing that you, you Mark talks about their farming for flavour. Now flavours flavours are very analogous thing, and you know it's it's not there's no strict definition of what flavour is. So yeah. what what does that mean? What does that mean to you or what does that mean to Waterford? Yeah, so that's, that's a big part of my job. I'm nearly like a terror translator. Like, I suppose what, what we're seeing is like, and it, we're learning, this is only the start. And I, I really think this is Irish whiskey evolving big time here, what we're doing. Like we're seeing, you know, we look at our last two releases, Hookhead and Lakefield, right? Hookhead is like an absolute spice bomb. And Lakefield is up in leash and it's a real clay loam soil and it's a lot calmer and a lot, it's more gentle flow. So I, the way I look at it is, is it because Hookhead is closer to the parent rock? Is that why we're getting that spice and that flavor? But it's not just about soil, like Tower is, there's a hundred different things. There's, there's the weather, the slope, the, the growing season. There's so many things like, and I don't just like putting it down to soil. So it's very hard to say 
put your finger on it well this is why we're tasting this yeah. but what we what we what we're seeing is we're seeing trends and it's only now when we're getting to the finished product we're kind of going well is that why it's that way and i suppose when ned our head distiller here like he's seeing stuff during the process and i can say to him god i, I actually remember that crop in the field and what it was like and you know the grains were bound to be a bit smaller because it was a tougher year the crop was under stress is that why we're getting less spirit yield and little things like that like i suppose i'm the, I'm the first agronomist employed by a distill by a distillery so yeah it is it's a completely different role and i suppose the more i see of it the more i can see merit in what mark rainey was trying to achieve when he did employ me yeah you can see the justification where, for it <laughs> where, do, where do agronomists normally work then if they don't work for distilleries yeah so uh, like an agronomist you're an agricultural advisor so i was working with the likes of lambia as well like different co-ops um i'm trying to think up the north what these have um like Thomps, thompson's and co-ops really like but, but what why has a distillery not employed a crop worker beforehand then because it is a crop that they're they're using in the manufacturing process so the, the closest thing to what I would be is a raw ingredients purchaser. But does that person actually go out to the field and look? No, at they're the they're just they're just bean counters. They're just that's all they are. They're accountants or, it, or purchasing people. Yes. Yeah, it re it really is very, very, very novel what you're doing then. Yeah, well, I suppose that the way I see it is we're buying Irish barley and for me, that is the main thing. Like, you know, I'm not going over to France looking for lorry loads of maize. You know, it, yeah. it's 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 bioregional, really, food production. Yeah. See, I think I think your job is a bit like you know Rachel Riley who does countdown, right? She she she, she does countdown. It's a show on Channel Four, and she's a mathematician. And she says, there's one cool job in mathematics, and I got it. <laughs> so it's so, something similar. You know, most, most agronomists are, are... Most most of them... Shut up, you. <laughs> listen, I'm, listen, I'm going I'm to have to put some text up when she says leash. I'll have to put up louse for, for Americans and Canadians. You know no, no, that? Nah, it's not spelled the same. But no, it's, it's, it's the, most of these people are going out probably just tick, 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 going over, you know, tick boxes, you're actually getting an input on what the end product's going to be like. And, I mean, Mark, Mark has set this up, that this is basically the, the USP of Waterford, and in many ways you're you're the front line. I mean, you're, you're getting to dictate this is how this, you know, what's happening, what's that, and what essentially they're left with to blend later on. Yeah, like, I suppose it's... Um... It's it's fun in a way like that, you know, if if I suggest that, you know, we should have an Ulster grower and it's kind of like, well, sure, why not? Sure, why not? Um, do we go and look for older varieties the next time we go? You know, little things like that. Like there's constant developments here and it, it, there's a lot of projects going on, a lot of things in the pipeline. <laughs> and I'm not going to hear about them. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we'll, go, we'll do it offline. You can tell us. No, listen, the, 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 guy, the marketing guy from, from uh, uh, Dingle told me stuff off her earlier on today. I want to know what it is. 
No, you're not going to get me. No, no, no. <laughs> Hold on to your hack your computer. <laughs> now, now, there are certain flavor compounds that are fixed in the green, okay, um, that basically travel all the way through. So I'm thinking of uh, isoamyl acetate, for example. That's set in the green before it comes. So even if you distill. So... Are, are you testing for that kind of thing? You know, are you testing for the, the, the ingredients are fixed in the grain and are you dictating how it's grown? I'm, I'm just interested in the process of how this is being married up between the two, you know? Yeah, so when we um, when we done our terror project to prove terror was an impact and flavour, Chagas uh, found that 93 different flavour compounds were coming across to distillate from barley alone. So I suppose that, that's enough to prove that, you know, that the distilling process isn't as destructive as people say it is. You know, the, the barley is there. You know, whiskey's made out of barley, water and yeast. So like, yeah. it, it's there. Because there are, there are people who dispute the, 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 the terroir um, I'll be honest with you and be totally upfront. When Waterford started the project, I found it really confusing. Really, how are they going to scale this up? Because it's okay having these single farms, but what if I like that farm more than I like that farm and they don't contract to this farm? And I just found it very confusing. Um, it's only recently that I've really sort of sat down and thought, right, now the things have settled, the the batch number 1.1s that came out have sort of settled down in the secondary market and, and all of that. So I've got over the sort of hype and started looking at it. And I start to see, I get much more of how the project is actually going to end up, that the single bottlings are not what's going to be. It's going to be there's going to be a blend. There's going to be a, a standalone product. And it's all going to be taken from these constituent parts. So it makes a lot more sense now. Um, how's, how's the industry taking Waterford now? Because you are shaking up a lot of people's preconceived ideas. Listen, it's not going to be for everyone. It's not going to be for every consumer. It's not, it's not going yeah. to, we're not going to suit everyone. I suppose we're shining the light maybe on things people might want exposed. Yeah. Um, I suppose this whole idea of, um, premium and, and quality well what's premium and what's quality nowadays like there's there's an awful lot of like i was surprised like coming from agriculture the marketing that's going on it's i don't know how some of these people sleep at night like i genuinely don't know but um i suppose no we're not we're not going to be liked and i suppose that's why mark went to the effort and tens and thousands of euros went into that terror project to prove so we have that piece of paper and we can just go well here you go we proved it i mean to be fair they did um the, the, i'm i'm sure that cost an awful lot of money and um, you know you're getting any research paper done it's you have to pay professional people very professional wages. So for that alone. And like Marty and Justin, hopefully some days will come down to Waterford. And I suppose where I even start is give you a couple of samples of new make from different farms. And you'll see it straight away. You won't need to be any kind of expert at all. 
then I bring you out to a couple of farms and you'll see the difference when you actually clue in, when you're not just looking over the hedges and going, oh, there's a field of barley or whatever. When you look at the differences real close up, you, you'll, yeah. you'll see, you'll see. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait for the time when we actually are allowed to do these kind of things again. <laughs> you know, yeah. really, really actually go do stuff. Um, I, I, I find the whole thing fascinating. Um, the project, the whole project is watching it unfold is really part of the story. And we, we did a show on Saturday night where we talked about the design of things. And I think this is a brilliant piece of design. You know, it looks, it looks fabulous. It really stands out, you know. So everything from what you're doing, putting it in the ground to what it looks like on the shelf has something a bit special about it. Yeah, like I suppose... Um... The design of the bottle, I suppose, when you when you look at it, you can see the wine. You know, it, it has notes from the wine industry where Mark came from originally. Like, and I suppose it, it's not just a glossy brand either. Like, we're a lot more than that. Yeah, you are. Um, there's no, I don't think there's any dispute in that. Now, a couple of quick questions. One, when you are putting micronutrients into stuff, when you're putting micronutrients to make things grow, Justin wants a word with you because he's a couple of things that he could do. <laughs> he yes. What what would make my hair grow there? What would make my hair grow? Well, I might get a few samples and send them up to the post. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, we'll have to cut that out. Otherwise, people will think we're being bad. Oh, the stuff we see off her. Thank you very much, Grace O'Reilly, agronomist. From Waterford Distillery, Grace, Grace Cropwalker. Uh, it's been it's been fantastic. And listen, keep up the good work because I I I keep I saw a couple of videos doing the research for this, and you're out talking to the farmers and you're having a laugh. And I think there's by far and away, if you can have a laugh, that's half the battle. You know. That's it. That's it. Good night. Listen. Good night.